Uh, my name is Ryan Jorgensen. I get the joy and the privilege to be an associate pastor here. In case you're new, that's who I am. And I'm going to be able to share God's word today in a sermon in just a bit. But I want to just touch on a couple other things going on in the life of our church. And uh, the first thing is this. When I first moved here, I heard about this really big event that happens in the life of the church in the summer. We just missed it when I came here. And it's P-U-C, Puck. What does that stand for? Power up clubs. All right. So I, everything I keep hearing about it, though, is phenomenal stuff. And I heard then that I, th- I thought, I got to get involved somehow. And so we heard that there was a need for host homes, people who have a front yard and a water spigot. And I was like, I'm in. And so Holly and I are going to host one, even though we've never experienced them whatsoever, but I'm sure they're going to be great. And so I just want to say, though, that we need more host homes. So if you have a front yard and a spigot and you want to have some sort of fun to some degree, like, please check this out. Please consider hosting. You go to the courtyard and you can find out more information about that. All right. The next thing that I want to touch on is uh, a prayer service this week. Now, if you know somebody who at one point said they follow Jesus, but for whatever reason today, they are no longer following Jesus Christ, raise your hand. Any family and friends we might know, okay? Uh, The Bible talks about such individuals as like a prodigal person, someone who has fallen and ran away from God for whatever those reasons are. And I don't know about you, but even right there, I can tell, and I'm sure some of us, that's like emotionally starts stirring things because we love them, don't we? And we care for them and we want them to come back to Jesus Christ. And so we're going to pray for that to happen. We're going to pray together because I'm hoping and I'm trusting that we're all praying individually for God to do that. But there's something about when two or more gather and agree in the name of Jesus Christ, isn't there? And we believe in the power of prayer. So we're going to do that this Tuesday night. Come pray with us for God to return prodigals to himself. All right? All right. Well, like I said, we're going to get into God's word. And uh, we're going to be in the passage of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, we're in a new series If you don't have a Bible, by the way, we have the app there. You can download that. That'll get you uh, a Bible as well. But we're in a series now called Multiply. And uh, Pastor Doug did an amazing job last week kicking this off. And he reminded us of a specific visual, if you will, of how God's will is that every one of us multiply, that we grow to get to that place in our lives. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time at the start of our sermon here to review that visual, all right? And and so if you weren't here, this is going to help catch you up. If we were here, if you're like me, I need to hear things like 20 times before I think I might start getting it. Okay, maybe just me. But anyway, we're going to go through the process, and then we're going to find something else that God has to say out of the passage about this process, this concept of multiplying. So here's how it all starts in our visual of disciple making. Every one of us that we're born, the Bible says that even though we're physically alive, we are spiritually dead because of a problem called sin. It separates us from God. And so if you will, spiritually, we're like a corpse in a coffin. That's why you see the coffin there. But God loved us so much, he didn't want us to stay there, right? He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago. And he lived a perfect life that you and I can never do. He died on the cross, 
He rose from the dead, and now he's made it possible for you and I to be risen up and born again if we trust in Jesus and we turn from our sins. It's what we call being born again salvation, as you can see there, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, before we go any further, let me just say this. Are you confident that you are born again in Jesus Christ? Have you believed in him and repented of your sins? Guys, my prayer, my plea is that everybody here can say a confident, yes, I've given my life to Christ. If you haven't, just come talk to me after service. I'd love to talk to you more about that. Answer any questions you might have. And so that's what happens though, right? That's what God has designed. He's given the gospel. We get saved, we get born again. And then if you will, we become an infant in Christ, don't we? We become like a baby, a child within a crib. Now here's a question, CFC. Is it God's will that every one of us goes from the coffin to the crib and then we stay in the crib through our life until we die and we get to go to heaven with Jesus? Yes or no? No, right? God doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to grow up out of that. And so I have something around here. Yeah, we need to start growing and we start getting some spiritual food. We need to get some spiritual milk. What is that? Well, if everything's about loving Jesus, we need to learn more about Jesus. Where do we learn more about Jesus in the pages of the Bible? Wow. Are we, wait, wait, Christian, family, child. Okay, Bible's not in our name, but still, we're about the Bible. Let's say that again. What, what's the, the book called? It's called the the Bible, right? And so that's where we start learning the Bible so that we can learn more about God, so we can love God more, and we're growing up in our love for him. We also begin to learn what it means to pray and to get connected some to the church and things like that. And so we grow out of the crib, and then, if you will, we get to what's up here on the stage. We get to the table, as we illustrate it in our discipleship process. Now, what's the table? The table is now where I am, as a follower of Christ, I continue to grow vertically in my relationship with Christ, but also the table is getting connected to peep other Christians in the life of a local church. And so, of course, you go from a crib, the crib, the baby doesn't get put right into an adult uh, chair right away, if you will. There's even a growth that can happen as you're around the table. And so we have the high chair. And what happens at the high chair is now I'm starting to learn in the Bible that God wants me to regularly gather with his people to worship him in song and in hearing the preaching of the word, a.k.a. church services. And in case you don't know what that is, you're sitting in it right now, right? Okay. And so we're going to start doing that regularly as a rhythm of my life. Well, I'm at the table and I'm starting to do that. Well, now as I'm continuing to grow, I start realizing that God also wants me to work together with my church to advance the kingdom and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that he's wired me and gifted me to serve him within the church. And so now I'm going to jump into a serving team. And so I've moved up from the high chair to a booster seat. And now I'm going to start serving in the nursery and holding babies. Or I'm going to start helping with the parking ministry. I'm going to start helping with the kids ministry. I'm going to start helping in some capacity. And so I'm worshiping and I'm serving, I'm growing up, you see. But then I also continue to learn and I understand all this. What are all these one another's in the scriptures? This idea that I need to care for one another's burdens. I need to pray for one another. I need to serve one another. What does that mean? Well, it means that when you study all of that is that we need to also get with a smaller group of Christians in the life of our church to do the one another's. And so, of course, at at, uh, Christian Family Chapel, we have family groups or we have adult fellowship classes. 
And so now I'm going to start regularly doing connecting with one another and getting into one of those groups. And if you will, at that point now, if we're worshiping regularly and serving regularly and connecting regularly, we can grow up. And now we are an adult in Christ, in the big boy or the big girl chair at the table of Jesus Christ. Amen to that. You see how there's a growth and there's all these things that we continue to learn and we grow up in Christ. But now is that the end goal? Is that what God wants us to do? Is that we do that, we get to the table, we get so involved in the life of the church and that's what we do until Jesus comes back. Well, there's this big thing called a stove up here and there's a reason for that and I'm gonna get to that in a second. But a lot of times, uh, what, I, what I found myself too doing early on in my walk with Christ, I think this is the end goal. And so, you know, time goes by and then eventually I just wanna start getting comfortable at the table. And I love my family group. You know, we, we're, we've been meeting now for 20 years. I've been in my church for 30 years. I just love Jesus. And you, know, you start getting a little comfortable, don't we? I'm just at the table. We're serving each other. I mean, I, I've been serving the, church, the Lord and the church for a long time. In fact, I've even now created a new ministry called Taste Testers for Jesus. Every food that gets made in our church, it's got to come through me. Someone's got to do it for Jesus. And, and so, you know, I'm just so serving, connecting, and growing and worshiping. And I'm comfortable. Jesus, just come back whenever you're ready. I'm ready. Right? Guys, this is not the end goal. Because at best, well, here's what happens. We become a spiritual adult. But listen, there is this whole big thing up here that we use as a visual called the stove of discipleship. This is where God is calling you and I to grow. Because if we say we're going to stay here, we're saying, I just want to be a spiritual adult. But over here is where we become a spiritual parent. And so let me explain about the discipleship stove. What happens there? Well, there's at least two activities that are going to occur at the discipleship stove. First of all, now we are starting to share the bread of life, the gospel of Jesus Christ, with people who are at the, at the coffin. They're spiritually dead. These are friends, coworkers, family members. And now I'm giving them the gospel and as I do that, by God's grace, God will do his miracle and people will begin to be saved. They will be born again. They will go from the coffin to the crib themselves. Praise God. Now, here's what's also awesome about that. Not only are people going from the coffin to the crib, but also I now have grown from a spiritual adult to a spiritual parent. I have my own spiritual child when someone gives their life to Christ through me. That is awesome, guys. This is where we're trying to grow, is to get to the, the stove of discipleship. And this parental language, in this view of this relationship, this is actually what Paul has in mind for the Christians in Thessalonica. We're gonna skip really quick. If you notice here, look what he says in verse seven. He says, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Do you hear how he views them? He's their spiritual parent. They're his spiritual child. And he's not done. If you skip to verse 11, he says, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a what? As a father would his own children. Paul had a parental view in mind of people that he had the opportunity to lead to Christ. It's where we wanted to grow. And so I don't know about you, but I've been so excited to be a part of CFC in 2019 
Because from what I learned, because I'm still new to the church, if you will, uh, is that the history of the church, we've been pushing maybe more than ever and encouraging each other more than ever to say, hey guys, let's grow out of the table and let's get to the stove of discipleship specifically. Let's be getting the bread of life, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and let's be sharing it with people in our lives who need to hear the gospel. And I love that. And what's been so awesome about that is already in 2019, we have seen a number of people go from the coffin to the crib and be born again. Awesome. And simultaneously, we've seen some people who were at the table as adults, and when someone gave their life to Christ through them, they now have become a spiritual parent themselves. That is awesome and praise the Lord. And I just want to encourage you, if you've been out there and you've gotten to the stove and you're sharing the gospel, I just want to commend you in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. As awesome as that is, and it is, don't want to diminish it. There's still something that needs to happen or else the movement will die. If those new believers in Christ are not trained to become disciple makers themselves, to become spiritual parents themselves, the movement will die. And that introduces to us a second activity at the stove of discipleship that's just as important as the first, is we also need to find ourselves training disciple makers. Let me try to explain what that looks like. At minimum, what that looks like is I am now, as a follower of Christ, I'm somewhere here at the table and now I'm getting to the stove. I've been sharing the gospel with unbelievers, but also I'm going to find at least one believer, a Christian, who's a little bit farther behind me, spiritually speaking, in our journeys. And I'm going to take them under my wing and I'm going to meet with them regularly and I'm going to train them to be a, to be a stronger disciple of Christ and to make disciples for Christ. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to take someone, at least one-on-one, under my wing, train them to be a stronger disciple of Christ and to make disciples of Christ afterwards. And at that moment, we would have what? Multiplication. When they become disciple makers, basically when I've become a spiritual grandparent, now we have multiplication occur. And so let me try to explain it maybe a different way, because sometimes I find with my, uh, with brothers and sisters, if I'm talking about this, I'm, I, I hear people say, well, I, I know I'm at the table. I think I'm at the stove, but I'm not sure. So let me try to say it a different way to help us understand what it looks like. If you can say a name for one of these questions, you know you're at the stove. Who are we currently sharing the gospel with? Do we have a gospel kind of relationship going on in our lives where we've talked about the gospel with so-and-so? They haven't given their life to Christ yet, but we're working on them, right? And we're praying for them and we continue to have that kind of a conversation. Uh, Do we have anybody in our life like that? And or who are you currently discipling? Who are you meeting with regularly, teaching them to be a disciple, but also training them to make disciple makers of others? And let me make a clarification on this too. Guys, this, is, this goes beyond our physical kids at home, which already right there assumes, parents, that we should be doing this with our kids, right? Some of us, that's our application. Just go ahead and leave right now. No, just kidding, right? Like that's where we got to start, right? But God has called us to do this outside of our own family as well with someone. So can we say any names to these kinds of questions? If we can, we know we're at the stove to some degree. 
And so I thought about this. I thought, I want to paint the picture a little bit more. I also want to make sure we don't have a preacher up here who's not practicing what he preaches. So let me just uh, give you some examples of those kind of questions for my life. Is there anybody that in this season of my life that I'm having gospel conversations with? And right now I do have some people, there's two. I'm not gonna give you their names though, because honestly, I hope and I pray they start coming here and I don't want them to be embarrassed and everybody find out who they were, right? But I'll, I'll, I'll show you this, so you know I'm not making it up. That's Woody's. Why am I showing you Woody's? Because that's actually where we met the first time. And we started, I got to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ compared to things they believe. And it started there. Now this coming week, we have another a meeting set up and I'm looking forward to continuing that gospel conversation. All right, so I'm giving the bread of life to a couple people and you can join me in praying for their salvation. Well, how about disciple making? Am I training any Christians, at least one, if not a few, to be able to become disciple makers in the end? Well, uh, just about six weeks ago, I started a DX group. Here's some handsome three guys, see those? There's uh, Tom and Daryl and Nick. And um, that what happened was I heard about these groups in our church called Life on Life groups. Have you guys heard of those before? Well, we have just currently, uh, sorry, just recently changed the name from Life, to Life on Life groups to DX groups. You say, what's that about? Discipleship multiplication groups. You see why we went to DX because it's shorter, right? But the name says it all, doesn't it? Because the whole point of these groups is this. I went to these guys and said, hey guys, would you be interested in meeting with me for about a year? And I'm gonna do the best I can from the things that I know and God's word and this and that. I'm gonna train you to be a stronger disciple of Christ, but also how to make disciple makers for Christ in the end. So that by God's grace in the end, each of these brothers will be able to take at least one other person through the same thing that I just took them through a year from now and thus multiplication will occur. That's the prayer, that's the goal. You can pray for that to happen. We're working hard. Now, I wanna introduce to you someone else though that I can't even hold a candlestick to, all right? This is a generational chart, a spiritual generational chart. Don't worry, you don't have to read the names and all that. Let me explain it to you. I thought the picture would be helpful. That's a huge piece of paper. And here's what it is. I got this from one of our missionaries, Rick Brackett from India. And he told me about this sister in Christ who is now 19 years old. And when she was 15, her name is Basanti. She heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. She heard right away though that we are also called to go and make disciples for him. And so immediately after she gave her life to Christ, she started sharing the gospel with other people around and began to disciple others. And if you study that chart, there were five people that she has now directly discipled, but also as they came to know Christ, then said to them, you need to go tell other people and you need to start discipling them so that in just over four years, a 15-year-old, now 19, has 554-ish, yes, I did count those circles and that's why I'm doing the ish because I could be off. 554 people that can trace back to the discipleship from her. Now, I know not everything's apples to apples from India to here, guys, but I think we got some holy inspiration and some holy challenge in her story. Guys, here's the thing. There's no question about it. God has called every one of us to get to the stove of discipleship. But there's also something else about that that God wants to bring out in our passage today. And so if you join with me now, look in your own verse, in your own Bible, and look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. 
For you yourselves know, this is Paul again talking to Christians in Thessalonica. He says, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. I want to pause right there to make sure we understand what Paul just said. What does he mean that we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel? Here's what Paul is saying is what I just got done saying. He is saying that me and all followers of Jesus, if we are saved, we have been approved and entrusted by God to grow, to get to the stone of discipleship. That's what he's saying. And then he finishes and he says, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who what? Examines our hearts. Now, what does that mean that God examines our hearts? Well, when I think of the word examine, I think of that. I think of an x-ray or an MRI. Because we know, of course, that we see the outside of a person, the skin, but we know if we use those kinds of devices, we can see deep down inside all the stuff that's in there. And the heart in this verse represents our motives. Here's what God is saying. God is saying, not only do I care what you do, but I also care about why you do what you do. God is saying, not only do I care that you get to the stove of disciple-making children, but I hope and I pray that you also do it for the right reasons of why you should be at the stove of discipleship. And so that's what we're going to see the rest of our time, is we're going to see from Paul and through God's word here, we're going to see an overall wrong reason to become a disciple-maker that fleshes itself out in three ways. And then we're going to see three right motives and reasons to grow to become a disciple maker. All right, that's the rest of our time together. So I don't know about you, but let's check it out. What's the overall wrong motive? Well, look at verse four. Paul says this, so we speak not as what? Pleasing men. Guys, disciple making is not about me. Would you say that with me? Disciple making is not about me. It's not, it's not about me, it's not about you. Yet in life, so often we can find ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, doing things to please people so we can get things out of them. Let's just be honest in church today. We'd find ourselves pleasing people to get something out of them. And that kind of wrong motive can creep actually into disciple making as well. And what's going on here is that Paul is being accused by people falsely of pleasing people to get stuff out of them that he wants. And you and I, when we go into disciple making, we got to make sure we don't also follow into that, that people can fall into pleasing people to get stuff out of them. And specifically, his accusers say there's at least three things that we see in the text that they're accusing him of trying to get out of the people that he's discipling. And so here's the first one, sex. That's right. It's kind of odd. I know it's right out there, but would you write that down? Because it's actually in the text. Here's what's going on. Paul has people saying this. Hey, the reason you came from the other town to here and you're sharing this gospel message about some guy named Jesus and you're making these disciples is because you're trying to please people. And you know why you're trying to please people, Paul? Because you're trying to get sex out of some of them. 
Look at your text, look at verse three. Uh, here's where it is. It says, for, Paul says, for our exhortation, that's the giving of the gospel, does not come from error or impurity. The word impurity in the Greek, nine times out of 10 is translated sexual impurity. And the reason we know that that is what is going on here is because the context. In Paul's day, sex and religion was merged together almost all the time. They would say, whether they're a traveling pagan preacher or just a priest at the temple, they would say this, hey, if you want to get closer to God, if you want to get something from God, whatever God we're talking about, come have sex with the priest or come have sex with the temple prostitute. And that is an act of worship. And you might get out of God what you want to get out of the God. And guys, this happened all the time. It's all throughout the New Testament. They kept having to battle this kind of thing. And so that's the kind of thing they're accusing Paul of. The reason you came here, the reason you're making disciples, because you're trying to get sex out of some people. Now, I don't think anybody's probably going to go join some sex cult today, thankfully, out of this room. And so I guess this point doesn't really apply to us, does it? You would be surprised how much the motive for sex creeps into the church even today. Let me make my point. How many of us know of, heard of a pastor, a church leader, a Christian who has sadly fallen into sexual adultery, get this, within the church or within a ministry? And all of a sudden I'm seeing some heads shake, right? It happens. And when you study these relationships, when you hear about them, you start to learn that a lot of them, the relationship started at the stove of discipleship. Specifically, the biggest one I've seen is the one where it's like a Christian to a Christian and the, and the one is, you know, let's say a man to a, girl, a woman. And, well, and what happens in the man's mind, because everything's about the heart today, motive, and what's going on deep down is, well, they only listen to me. They won't listen to any, they don't know any of the females in our church yet. They only know me. And so I need to disciple them. And, and, and they only really see, I want to help them. And, but deep down inside, we start saying, but also they're attractive and I don't mind having their attention and I don't mind having them being in their presence. And then you fast forward a little bit and eventually it goes from that to, I wouldn't mind if something more than attention happens. Guys, it's a process and it's a real thing that can be there. And sadly, we see the casualties of this wrong motive. And so by God's grace, may we stay away from sex ever being something that is a motive to get into disciple making. Now, I'll say this, thankfully, as sad as that can be, it's actually kind of easily avoidable. Here's how you do it. Uh, if you have to share the gospel, if you have to share the gospel with someone of the other gender, do it in a public place. But as quick as possible, you hand them off to someone of the same gender. And then you don't have that problem. And if you're going into a disciple-making relationship and you're training them, like do guys on guys, ladies on ladies, right? That's what we do with our DX groups. We're not having co-ed things going on because we know this is a real thing. And so let's stay away from that motive, all right? Here's a second one. Uh, this comes up in verse 5. Uh, Paul says, for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity. Well, that was that. Sorry about that. Here we go. Okay, verse 5. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. 
You see that? God is witness. So uh, they're falsely accusing him. He's trying to please people so he can get greed because he has a greedy heart. He wants money out of them. And you say, well, was that common in in that day? Absolutely. The false pagan religious traveling preachers and priests, they said the same thing like they did with sex. Hey, you want to get closer to a God? You want to get something out of God? Uh, Go give your money to God through me, through me. Give money to God through me, conveniently, right? And maybe you'll get that thing out of God. They weren't really trying to help people. They were trying to fill their pockets, right? They were greedy. And they're turning the same thing around. Paul, the reason you're doing all this stuff is because you want money out of people. Well, is greed something that can happen today for Christians and disciple making? Sadly. I don't have to spend long this morning to prove to you how many pastors and church leaders, sadly, in one way or the other, found out greed was a motivating thing of what they were doing ministry for. But I'll tell you, it even goes into, uh, even into a DX group kind of level disciple-making stuff. So let me try to explain, okay? We're going kind of deep today because the heart's deep, right? So here it is. Let's say that you're like, I'm convinced. I want to start a discipleship group. I want to disciple one or a few other people. I wonder who they're going to be. And so God, show me who they are. And then you come across someone and you're like, oh, they, they actually have a nice house too. They have a beach house actually. And they have some toys and they got these things. You know, if I pour into them for the next year or so, maybe they'll be good Christians and start sharing some of those things with me. And you see, all of a sudden now, where's my motive in my heart going? To some greed, isn't it? Guys, we want to stay far away from this. And I guess you could flip the other way around. Let's say I want to get trained and discipled by somebody. And uh, I wonder who, who wants to train me. And then, oh, that person, they got a lot of toys and they have a beach house, right? I know for the three guys I showed you earlier, um, that was a big temptation for them when I asked them if they wanted to join a discipleship group with me. You know, I was like, Ryan, oh man, his yacht and his beach house. And his private jet. Okay, if you don't know who I am, that's not me. Okay, no temptation, I'm sure, Daryl, right? No, no one and Tom and you guys, you, there was none there, okay? But here's the thing. Let's just make sure, always search our hearts. Is greed creeping into any disciple-making stuff? Let's stay away from it. All right, let's find our third wrong motive, verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. The wrong motive is glory, specifically self-glory. So how about the pagan religious priests of his day? What were they doing? They loved the attention they got from town to town. They loved, they had the best seats at the public plays, they had the best seats at meals, they had the best food. They loved the attention. And people are accusing Paul, you are doing this for your own attention, your own glory. Of course, it wasn't true. Now, does greed ever, I'm sorry, does glory ever work its way into disciple making in the church today? (laughs) Sadly, often. Even as a pastor confessing, you know, there's temptations as a pastor to want to start doing things for attention and self-glory. And one of the main places where I sense temptation and I sadly see it flesh out in the Christian world among pastors and church leaders is when we might be talking between churches about numbers, worship attendance, membership numbers, family group numbers, financial numbers. And then there's a temptation to start fudging the numbers. And of course, we always fudge the numbers down, don't we? 
No, it's always going up. Why? Why am I wanting to do that? Because it's self-glory, self-motivation. You see that? Wrong stuff, guys. We want to stay away from that. Same thing for just discipleship. God, I want to get to the stove. Why? Because I want people to see how good of a disciple maker I am, how good of an evangelist I am. Is it all about me and my attention? No. We got to say, God, help us to stay away from these wrong motives. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I want to see the right motives, right? So let's check this out. First of all, why do I want to get to the stove of discipleship? Is because I love God, right? I love God. That's why I'm doing this. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. He says, so we speak not as pleasing men, that's the wrong thing, but God. You see, he loved God and he wants to please God. If you and I, if we love God, we want to please God. Uh, loving God is, this is like basic milk stuff again, isn't it, as a Christian? Like, I don't know if you know that, but as a Christian, we're supposed to love God. And we're supposed to love God more today than we did yesterday. And so, now here's the thing, though, with loving God, is when you love God, you will find out what pleases Him. And when you find out what pleases Him, you will want to what? To do what pleases Him because it comes out of love. And isn't that a general principle of any loving relationship between two people? That if I love them, I'm going to find out what pleases them, and I want to do that because I love them. So Holly and I, in our marriage, I have had to learn the hard way early on in our marriage about this principle. And it played itself out in a few different ways. One of those for me was vacations. In our early years of marriage, I would plan these vacations, and I was planning great ones. We were going to big cities like Toronto and Chicago and Indianapolis. We were doing all the fun stuff that you do in all these big cities. It was great. I was enjoying myself. But over time, I started realizing that my wife didn't seem to be enjoying these vacations as much as me. And then I brightened up. Miracles do happen. I brightened up. And I thought, I'm going to ask Holly what she thinks of these. And I come to find out she doesn't really like going to places with masses of people where she feels like she's being stepped on by other people. She likes to get away from crowds of people, give her a beach with nobody there, or give her the mountains, or give her the forest. That's what happens, that's what she likes. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so because I love Holly, I began to plan vacations where we continued only to go to big cities. No, right? That'd be crazy, right? No, because I love her, I began to change our vacation plans because I found out what pleases her and I wanted to please her. You see how that plays out? Now, here's the thing. We love God and God has already told us in the scriptures. He wants us to grow, to become disciple makers for his glory. This is what pleases the heart of God. And so if we love the Lord we will want to grow to become a disciple maker at the stove for his glory. Let that be a holy and a healthy motive. Well, how about this? What's another good reason to become a disciple maker is because we fear God. This one's kind of weird sometimes in churches today. You don't hear about the fear of God that often, unfortunately, but it's so true. It's a motive. And so listen how it comes out from Paul. He says, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who, again, examines our hearts. So we already talked about this. God examines our hearts. He not only sees what we do, what we don't do, but he also knows why we're doing what we do, right? And so, but here's the thing. Why? Who cares? Okay, so God knows everything. Who cares? Unless this. Here's ready. God will discipline us. He will discipline us for the thing, if we do things we shouldn't. He will discipline us if we don't do the things we should, and he will discipline us when we do things for the wrong motives and reasons. 
You say, what? Yeah, discipline is a principle that's important. Listen to what this says in Hebrews 12, 6. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Do you hear that? And so I'm going to have a little fun this morning. I need to find a teenager. Where are they at? They're all in the front row last service, but uh, they, heard you, they told you, and now you're not here. Where are you at? No, okay. All right, here we go. Um, I see, let's see, Hodges. I see a daughter there. Hi. Um, would you have a little bit of fun with me here? And um, your dad, does he have a physical item of something that's like his hobby thing he loves to do? Maybe a set of golf clubs, maybe a, a boat, maybe, does he have anything that you can throw? What is it? I can't say again. He likes to fish. Does he have a certain fishing pole or something that he likes? Okay, special something fishing. Okay, now here's the thing. Here's the question. Let's say that this is all, of course, hypothetical, right? Hypothetical. But let's say that you make some sort of bonehead decision. It's not an innocent accident. This is a bonehead decision of some sort. And you break your dad's fishing stuff. And he just found out and he's coming to talk with you. What's the feeling in your heart right now? Yeah, right? So, no, it's love. My dad loves me, and I love him, and this is going to be a loving conversation, right? No, right? There's a healthy level of fear going on because your dad, because he loves you, he's going to discipline you so that you don't break his stuff again, right? That's the whole point of discipline. Guys, here's the thing. God loves us, and in his love as our heavenly father, he will discipline us if we do things we shouldn't, if we don't do things we should, and if we do them for the wrong reasons because he wants us to fear him. Fear is such an important thing, isn't it? In fact, it's all throughout the scriptures. Let me tell you what King Solomon said about fearing God. He says this He says, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God. Do you see that? And keep his commandments because this applies to every person. Fear of God is a healthy motivation to do anything for Christ and do it for the right reason. Specifically, it's a healthy reason for me to want to grow up and get to the discipleship stove of Christ. I'll tell you what, guys, for me personally, the the motive of fear of God And getting to the stove has been very helpful because I'll tell you, as much as I would love to tell you that every time you take the gospel, the bread of life, and you give it to an unbeliever, that they're going to say this to you. They're going to say, that is the best thing I've ever heard. Why have you not told me that before? You are my hero. Yes, I want Jesus. This is the best day ever. Like, I wish I could say every time you share the bread of life with people, they're going to be positively ready for it. Guys, that's not how it goes. In fact, more times than not, it's negative responses. I've been cussed out, flipped off, and you name it, and I've had that happen sharing the gospel. And I'll tell you, I don't know how many times I do that. It doesn't go well. It's not fun. And I sit there and go, you know what? I'm going back to my church. I'm going back to the table. I'm serving. I'm worshiping. I'm con- I love my family group. They don't cuss me out like that. You know, you know, that stuff's for the birds. The stove of discipleship is hard work. I think I'm going to be over here. And then the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, says, Ryan, I've called you. Every one of you is my children to go make disciples for me. And if you don't, I'm going to lovingly discipline you. And I sit there and go, oh, man. (laughs) And Lord, because I love you, and Lord, because I fear you, I'm going to get back to what you've called me to do. Guys, let fear 
be a healthy reason why we become disciple makers for Christ. Here's the final one. We want to become disciple makers because we love people. We love people. And if you read the rest of the text, I'm going to skip through it here because of time, but you would hear the love that Paul has for the people in that text. It's phenomenal. But here's the point. If we love people, we will want to do what's best for them. And what's the best thing that we could do for people, any person, is help them enjoy God's love. And one of the best ways that we can help people enjoy God's love is at the stove of discipleship, specifically in three ways. Let me skip through these and get to that. It's first of all, at the, at the stove, we give them the gospel. This is the bread of life. Now they can actually start to enjoy God's love because they're saved because of that. But also when I start meeting with people regularly, I'm now giving them my life as I'm meeting with them. And if we have a group of people like my DX group, you get these guys living together and spending time together. Well, through each other, through God's people is a way for people to enjoy God's more through Christian community. That's why Paul says in verse 8, I didn't just give you the gospel, but I gave you my own life. I lived life among you. But also as I'm discipling people, another way for them to help, help them enjoy Jesus is because I'm helping them become more like Jesus. And the more that you become like Jesus, the more you will enjoy Jesus' love, right? So when I help people become more like Jesus, I'm helping them enjoy Jesus more. You see how discipleship is helping people. So I'm going to ask this question again. Who are you sharing the gospel with? And or who are you discipling? And so I want to end with this. First of all, if we're not at the stove of discipleship, I'm really hoping and praying that we're asking ourselves those three questions. Do I love God? Do I fear God? And do I love people? Because if there's an, a yes to those, then we will want to grow to become a disciple maker. But also, let me say this, that I find a lot of times with my brothers and sisters, maybe you're one of them, that I asked that kind of question, they would say, yes, I love God. Yes, I fear God. I want to do what pleases him. And yes, I love people. I want to get to the stove, but I need help. I don't know how. I need training. And so I want to end with a couple invitations to get some training, to get to the stove. First of all, there's a class called Foundations for New Believers. This is coming up, as you can see the details there. And, and obviously, the first audience, this is for New believers, right? Christians in the crib. If you're a new believer, please come to this class and just continue to learn what it means to love Jesus. But also I wanna say this, if you're at the table and you wanna to get to the stove and you want some training, maybe come to this class with the mentality of this. I'm gonna learn this stuff with the mindset that I'm gonna eventually take at least one other person in the future through the same content. And all of a sudden the learning will be a very different learning. So take advantage of that. But of course, also, I talked about these DX groups, groups that are designed to train you to be able to help make disciples of others. If you're interested in that whatsoever, just email that email right there. I would love that in my email box, because that goes to mine, would be filled with people who are saying, I don't feel qualified, but I know I've been approved and entrusted and I'm ready to get some training. I would love to see that happen. Let's pray. Jesus, our heart is to become more like you. You came and you made disciples of 12 people and the world has been changed because of it. 
And now you've turned it around. You said, now continue to pass these on. And that continues to happen today. But Lord, we also wanna have your same heart. And so Lord, would you help us to love you and fear you and love people as well as we do these things. Help us to have your heart in the name of Jesus, amen. One of you stand with me as we respond, declaring who he is, that we want more of him, more of his heart. Worthy. Really? 